0: Well, in the first century, about 30 years or so after the events of Jesus' life, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church, the community of Christ followers in the city of Ephesus. And this letter actually survived in antiquity and is now known as the New Testament book of Ephesians. And right toward the end of the letter, Paul just says something that's out of left field that was definitely weird to them and for many of us seems very, very strange. And here's what he wrote. He says, finally, like I save this for last because this is so important. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in Jesus, and in his mighty power. He's saying, not not in your power, but in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. (laughs) Right toward the end of this letter, Paul goes, there is a powerful, evil, deceptive enemy at work in the world, and I want you to know about it. The enemy is the devil, whose name is Satan, and he goes on. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against him, her, them, or even ourselves, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Whew. See, according to the writers of of Scripture, Jesus came to forgive us for our violation of sin that keeps us separated from Holy Creator God in this life and the next Jesus came to redeem and restore and reconcile our broken relationship with our heavenly father. Jesus came to usher in God's kingdom. Jesus came to fill all creation with his glory. Jesus came to save you from the penalty of sin and give you eternal life. Not just someday, but Jesus says he came to what he describes to give life to the full today. But we have an enemy whose sole motivation is to steal, kill, and destroy all of that. Satan fights to oppose God however he can. He fights to advance evil and hopelessness and injustice and hatred. He fights to fill all creation with despair and darkness and disease. He fights to deceive and destroy you. See, we all look around and we know that something just isn't right. And it seems like there's something against us all the time. And as weird, as unbelievable as it sounds, according to Jesus, according to the writers of Scripture, you have an enemy One who is against you, who is attacking you. And Paul knew that full well. So to conclude this letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, We are in a battle daily, so we must daily prepare for battle. We're in the midst of a battle every day, a battle not against him or her or them or even ourselves, but an unseen one against an enemy who fights with the forces of hell to destroy everything and everyone God's for, to destroy everything and everyone that God loves, to destroy everything God wants to do in you and in the world, to destroy everything and everyone that Jesus came for, Jesus died for, and Jesus rose from the grave for. We are in a battle daily, so we must daily prepare for battle. But how do we prepare? Well, Paul goes on to tell us, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, when, not if, it will happen, when the day of evil comes, when the enemy attacks, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. And This is kind of the key verse. We've been, been focusing this, this series on. And so let's, let's read this verse out loud together uh, today. Here we go. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Here's the deal you don't get to choose the battle, it's here and it's coming. You are being attacked. To not be devoured by an enemy. You and I have to daily be prepared to stand firm, but we can't stand firm in our own strength. The good news is we don't have to. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has already won this battle. So all we need to do to stand firm is to put on Jesus and his mighty power by putting on, as Paul describes, the full armor of God. Well, starting in verse 14, Paul goes to list out six pieces that he describes as the armor of God. And he uses the metaphor of a Roman soldier because in the, uh, you know, pieces of armor with a Roman soldier because in the first century, his first century readers, a Roman soldier was who they thought of when they thought of a warrior going into battle. And so throughout this series, we're looking at these six pieces, what each piece is, why it's so important in the battle, and, and, and how to put it on. And, but here's the promise, and here's why we're looking at this, is that the promise of daily putting on the, the battle every single day is that the enemy has no chance in your life. The promise is when you and I put this on every single day, the enemy will be disarmed in our lives. The promise is when we put this, put this armor on every single day, that you and I will experience God and his presence and his power in, the, in our lives in the midst of the battle. And that's what we all need. Up to this point in time, we've covered four of the six pieces over the last few weeks. And as a review, here they are again. Stand firm then with first, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Second, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Third, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, fourth, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, if you missed any of the last few weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and watch those messages. The fifth piece of armor that we're talking about today, it may be one of the most important. However, Paul gave little information on what this means, on why it's important, or how to put it on. Here's what Paul wrote. Take the helmet of salvation. And that's it. That's, you know, that's all he wrote. So at first glance, this is not really helpful until you think practically about what helmets do. We all know what helmets do. Helmets protect our most, the most important part of our body. They protect our heads. The head is a particularly vulnerable spot, but it's a very important part of our body. Now, this is why Roman soldiers wore helmets. Right, you get a spear or a sword or a club to the arm like that. That can hurt pretty bad. But you get one to the head, you're done. You're dead. It's taken you know taking you out. Like a sharp blow to the head, it can kill you. It's why construction workers wear hard hats. It's why football players wear helmets. It's why people who ride motorcycles wear helmets. But in 2005, I got my first motorcycle and. When I got it, I did not want a helmet because it ain't cool. And I lived in Birmingham, Alabama. They didn't have a helmet loss. So I was like, I ain't getting a helmet because that ain't cool. I want to feel the wind through my hair. You know, all this. And so I'm a 25-year-old kid, got a bike, I ain't getting a helmet. And Christy, my wife's like, can you just please go to the bike shop and talk to them, see if they think you need a helmet. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, to suffice her, I went to the bike shop. And I thought full well I'd walk in, they'd be like, yeah, you don't need a helmet, those are stupid. I walk in, and the guy who, you know, was working behind the counter, first of all, his guy's face was all mangled. I mean, just mangled face. I was like, didn't think much about it, but I said, hey, bro, I just got a bike. I'm thinking about not getting a helmet. My wife made me come here and, you know, talk to you about it. And he looked at me, and he goes, there's two types of riders in this world, those who have put their bike down and those who will put their bike down. And looking at his face, I believed him (laughs) fully. I'm like... I'm getting a helmet today. Uh, and so I'm 25 years old. This is before like I had tattoos and stuff, so I need to get like a really cool helmet. Here's what I got. It's this blue helmet. Skulls all over it. Like I was bad. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, people are think I'm real tough with my skull helmet. So this is literally the helmet I bought and rode around with forever that had blue skulls all over it, which I'm a little embarrassed now. But I would wear it as if I was still riding. I definitely would wear it because I, lo- I love it. But uh, luckily, I haven't never put it down because it's still all uh, in one piece. I got a helmet, because I knew if I hit my head on the ground, it's over. My head gets crushed. I'm done. Well, in developing the, his metaphor of spiritual armor, Paul indicated the helmet of salvation <coughs> excuse me, is one of the most important pieces. Not to protect our heads physically, obviously, but to protect what's inside of our heads. Our minds. And you know this. The condition of our minds, they affect everything. It affects your mental health, your spiritual health, your relational health, even your physical health. When our minds are unhealthy, when our minds are broken, everything about us is broken. And the enemy knows this. So destroy, to destroy you, he will do everything he can to attack your mind. So Paul says, in order to stand firm in this battle daily, you must protect your mind daily by putting on the helmet of salvation. Now, Paul is not referring to the salvation that we received for our violation of sin against Holy Creator God when we put our faith in Jesus. And we know that because Paul is writing to followers of Christ. He's writing to people who have already put their faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. Like, we can't put that salvation on again. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are saved. We are forgiven for our past, present, and future sins once and for all. So if Paul's not referring to that, well then what is the helmet of salvation? Well, Paul doesn't answer that question in Ephesians. But he does when he's writing about uh, the armor again in First Thessalonians. and First Thessalonians is actually another letter that Paul wrote in the first century to another church. And here's what he wrote to that church. But since we, followers of Christ, belong to the day, and the day that Paul's referring to is the day when Jesus physically returns to finish off his and our enemy once and for all and fully usher in God's kingdom. He's saying, "Since we belong to that day, let us be sober." Putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and here it is, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So you put these two passages together in Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians, you see that the helmet of salvation is the hope of salvation. Now before I explain the phrase hope of salvation, I want to talk about the importance of hope in general. And you already know this before I say it. You can't live without hope. Asking someone to live without hope is like asking someone to run a race that doesn't have a finish line. Without hope, we feel helpless, we feel lifeless, we feel obviously hopeless. And hopelessness, hopelessness leads to despair and anxiety and depression, and in the most severe cases, suicide. Hopelessness will destroy and devour everything in you. And in your life. It will destroy your marriage, your relationships, your future, your mental well-being, your physical well-being. It will destroy your faith. After the Korean War... A thousand American POWs, a POWs for those you who don't know, is a prisoner of war, POW. A thousand American POWs who were detained in North Korea in a North Korea camp were studied because uh, they experienced the most psychologically devastating effects of any POWs on record. And no one can understand why. They couldn't understand why they experienced such, you know, psychological torture because they didn't experience any physical torture and the entire time they were there they had adequate food, Adequate water, adequate shelter. No one could figure out why why under these seemingly good conditions as a POW, so many of them died. No one could figure out why none of them ever tried to escape the camp, even though the camp wasn't surrounded by armed guards. No one could figure out why they broke rank and turned on each other. No one could figure out why when they were released, very few of them you know, call, phoned their loved ones to let them know that they were alive. No one could figure out why when they returned home, that very few of these POWs maintained relationships with one another. And so they studied them. Studied a thousand of them. And the study of the POWs revealed that North Korea used the ultimate weapon of war against them. What what the North Koreans did was they withheld all positivity and instead inundated the POWs with nothing but negative thoughts. Negative thoughts about their family, their friends, their home, their future, each other, even themselves. One example of how they did this was the, the POWs are made to stand in front of a group of 10 to 12 other POWs and tell all the bad things they had ever done, as well as all the good things they could have done, but failed to do. The overall death rate in the North Korea POW camps was an incredible 38%. So almost 4 out of 10 of them died. Highest POW death rate in, any, in, in, in military history. And it was no physical torture. The study revealed... It happened because of one reason. The four out of ten of them died because of one reason. Extreme hopelessness. While they were held hostage, it wasn't common for a POW, uh, uncommon for a POW to go into the corner of a hut, put a blanket over his head, and be dead within two days. Many just gave up because they lost hope. Because of the absence of hope, many of them died even though there was no physical medical justification for their deaths. These POWs felt they had nothing to live for because North Korea took away their hope. This study revealed, The study showed that people can literally be destroyed by hopelessness. This study revealed that when hope dies, we die. Maybe not physically, but in every other way. And where does hope or hopelessness live? Where do those things live? They live in our minds. Our minds are the battleground of and for our hope. And Satan knows this. So he will do everything to attack your mind in order to devour your hope. Satan knows that when hope dies, you die too. So he will oppose you and your marriage and your kids and your family and your finances, your career, your progress, your relationship, your body, and every way to fill your mind with hopelessness. Our minds are being attacked every day by an enemy who's working overtime to ultimately steal, kill, and destroy what Paul described as the hope of salvation. Now, you got to know, in Scripture, hope is defined as certainty that God will fulfill all his promises in his time and way. And so Satan is trying to attack the hope of salvation, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy the hope of the salvation we received when we put our faith in Jesus by asking Him to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life. The hope and assurance that we were forgiven for our penalty of sin. But Satan also wants to steal, kill, and destroy the hope of our future future salvation. That through our faith in Jesus, we will receive and experience eternal life with our Heavenly Father. That one day when Jesus physically returns, He will completely remove the presence of sin. And that when he does, there will be no more pain and suffering and disease and sickness and despair and death. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy our hope in that. But Satan also wants to steal, kill, and destroy the hope and the promise of salvation today. That when we trust, that when we follow Jesus today, the power of sin and darkness, shame, despair, hopelessness, the power of Satan is defeated and Jesus fills us with his life today as he describes, describes life to the full today. Satan wants to attack that. Satan knows that when hope dies, we die too. So he attacks and attacks and attacks and lays blows blows to our minds by opposing us in every way possible. Through suffering, despair, hardship, pain, disease, loneliness, guilt, shame, discouragement. In order to steal, kill, and destroy the hope of salvation and to fill our minds with hopelessness. And so Paul says, to stand firm in this battle, we must daily protect our minds by putting on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Not just the hope of past salvation, not just the hope of future salvation, but the hope of salvation today. That our Heavenly Father works for the good of those who love and follow Jesus. That he will never leave you. That he will never forsake you. That because Jesus defeated death, he can resurrect your marriage, he can resurrect your life, he can resurrect your reputation, he can... Resurrect your career, that He has a perfect plan and purpose for you, that His ways and His thoughts are higher than your ways and your thoughts, that He has a future and He has a hope for you. The helmet of salvation gives us the hope we need to know that God is with us. In the hardship and in the suffering and in the pain and in the uncertainty and in the disappointment, and that He can and He wants to fill us with true life in the midst of it, and peace in the midst of it, and joy in the midst of it, and hope in the midst of it, and strength in the midst of it, and healing in the midst of it. So let me ask you Are you filled with despair? Are you filled with anxiety? Are you filled with depression? Are you contemplating suicide? Have you lost hope in your marriage, in your future, that 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 relationship can be repaired and never feeling lonely, that you and it can be healed? If your answer is yes to any of that, is it possible? Is it possible that one of the reasons is Because you're not putting on the helmet of salvation daily. I believe so. Let's be honest. Many of us are dying before we're dead. We're dying in here long before we're dead. We're dying because the enemy has filled us with hopelessness. He's winning, and it doesn't have to be that way. Hope is available, but we must choose to put on the helmet of salvation daily. The question is how. So what I want to do today is I want to give what I believe to be the primary way we put the helmet of salvation on every single day. This is actually not something I came up with. The writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews told us the primary way to put the helmet of salvation on almost 2,000 years ago. We just haven't listened. And let me just say, if you're experiencing any level of anguish and depression, anxiety, despair, hopelessness, in any area of your life, in your mind today, you can be free of that. You can be free of that. You can begin to become free of that. But you've got to apply what the writer of Hebrews says starting today. Hebrews 12. Two short but very powerful verses. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and the great cloud of witnesses that he's referring to are the numerous Israelites the writer of Hebrews listed in chapter 11 who had unwavering faith and hope in the promises of God. He's saying, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here it is, let us throw off, which means get rid of, turn your back on, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And here's what we all know. Throwing something off it's a choice. It's a choice. It means in the midst of hardship, trials, suffering, despair, in the midst of the battle, not just waiting for things to change, but choosing to throw off everything that can hinder our minds from being filled with hope and that can entangle us in hope, hopelessness. Things like sin, addiction, anger, anger. Hatred, shame, isolation, greed, pride, discontentment, immediate satisfaction, lust, lies. Saying throw that stuff off and instead let us run with perseverance, which means unwavering faith and hope. The race marked out before us. And the race marked out before us as followers of Christ is to follow Jesus one next step at a time wherever he is leading us. And here's how we do all this. And here it is. This is it. By fixing our Eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Guys, the battle, the enemy are unseen. But the effects of this battle are not. The effects of this battle are things like racism, hatred, hunger, violence, abuse, hurt, disappointment, division, loneliness, pain, suffering, sickness. And because that's what's seen, That's what we intuitively fix our eyes on. And we wonder why our minds are filled with hopelessness. The writer of Hebrews is saying, instead of fixing your eyes on the situation and the circumstances and the hardships that are right in front of you, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith and hope. And check out what he says next. For the joy set before him. And and what was the joy set before Jesus? The joy set before Jesus was the hope of salvation that his death and resurrection would provide you and you and you and you and you and you and and me. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And after he rose from the grave and physically ascended to heaven 40 days later, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. After Jesus died on the cross, three days later, after he rose... From the grave, he defeated the power of sin. He defeated the power of darkness. He defeated the power of hopelessness. He defeated the power of Satan. The writers of scripture promised the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave resides in those of us who have put our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life. God's spirit in us gives us the ability and the power to throw off everything that can entangle our minds and hopelessness and as we throw them off by keeping Keeping our eyes on Jesus, fixed on Jesus, he fills us with the life that that he rose from the grave to give. He fills us with the hope of salvation. And there it is. As clear and straightforward as can be. We put on the helmet of salvation daily by daily fixing our eyes on Jesus. I have some really bad news. The bad news is that we all have and we all will experience trials that weigh heavy on our minds and that can entangle us in hopelessness. It's gonna happen. It has happened and it will happen. You can't dodge it. The trials of not being able to get pregnant, the trials of not making enough money to provide For your family, the trials of being treated unfairly, the trials of being falsely accused, the trials of poor health, the trials of broken relationships, the trials of your spouse cheating on you, the trials of lost dreams. No matter how much faith in Jesus you have, you will experience trials. Jesus himself told us that we would. During what we now call the Last Supper, which was the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples the night that he was unjustly arrested and then ultimately crucified the next day. During the Last Supper, Jesus said these words that are recorded in John 16. In this world, you will, you will, you will, you will have trouble. Trials, hardship, pain, disappointment. Because you're in a daily battle with an enemy. You're caught in the middle of it. So in this world, you will have troubles. But then he goes, but take heart. But take heart heart by keeping your eyes fixed on me because here it is. I have overcome the world. Here's the really good news. A few days later after Jesus claimed these words, he literally overcame the world when he defeated death by rising from the grave. Listen, the battle ain't going nowhere. You don't get to choose if you're caught in this battle or not. When we take our eyes off Jesus, even just for a moment, we find nothing but hopelessness. But when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus every day, we find a hope even in seemingly hopeless situations. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus every day, we'll be able to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus every single day, we'll put on Jesus and his mighty power. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus every single day, we won't back down so here's the big idea for today i hope you remember to stand firm and hope daily we must daily fix our eyes on jesus we must daily fix our eyes on jesus because true hope is not found in them True Hope is not found when they change. True Hope is not found when your person gets elected. True Hope is not found by your marriage getting better. True Hope is not found by having more money in the bank. True Hope is not found in Getting a better job. True Hope is not found in Having a kid. True Hope is not found when you graduate. You you can't fix the internal problem of hopelessness with an external solution. Let me say it again. You cannot fix the internal problem of hopelessness with an external solution. And thinking that we can is a lie from Satan, and we've all been trying to do it and being lied to and lied to and lied to, and it ain't working. We must daily fix our eyes on Jesus because true hope is found in the person of Jesus alone and what only he can do in us. To stand firm, in the day, stand firm in hope daily, we must daily fix our eyes on Jesus. Because when we do, he fills our minds with the promises, the presence, and the power of God. God. And that's what produces true hope. Hope not only for you, but hope for your marriage and your kids and your future and your relationships and your financial well-being. Hope for your tomorrow. So let me ask you again. In the midst of the trials in the midst of the hardships, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the battle, are you filled with despair, anxiety, depression, anguish, hopelessness? Is it possible that one of the reasons, is it possible that one of the reasons is because you're not daily fixing your eyes on Jesus? You have to answer that. But I believe for many of us, regardless if we call ourselves followers of Christ or not and how much faith in Jesus we have or not, I believe the answer for many of us is yes. One of the reasons is because I'm not daily fixing my eyes on Jesus. The battle, the trouble, the pain, the hardship ain't going anywhere. True hope is available in the midst of it. It's available in the midst of it. But to stand firm in hope daily, we must daily fix our eyes on Jesus. But how do we practically do that in the midst of this very real and very hard battle? And I want to close by giving a few very simple next steps that have really helped me and I've seen help others keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I believe will be helpful for you as well. And here's my first next step suggestion. Start your day with Jesus. Start your day with Jesus. Pastor Matt gave me permission to share this story. A couple months ago, we were in a meeting, Matt, myself, a few other of us other pastors. We were in a meeting, and Matt just broke down. In the middle of this meeting, he just broke down and just starts crying profusely in a fetal position. He wasn't. I just told him I was going to tell him that. Uh, he just starts crying, you know, and just like he was just starts saying all the things he felt. And basically, he was explaining this, this feeling of hopelessness. And he's like, I don't even know if I can continue to do this job. Like, I don't know if I can continue on. I don't understand what's happening, why I feel so hopeless. None of us had these great words of wisdom to give him. All we did was listen and encouraged him and got around him and prayed for him. And, and a few days later, Matt came to me, and he's like, hey, I, after, you know, sharing the other day, he goes, I started thinking about it because I just have not been spending time with Jesus he goes, I know that's, I've just been super busy, and I just haven't been doing that. And he goes, I wonder if that's, like, contributing to this. I'm like, yeah, probably. You give it a shot. See what happens, you know. And uh, no lie. So Matt just for one week, just like every day, he started getting up, spending time with Jesus. Like, he's done for years, but he just had stopped doing. And no lie, within one week, Matt's entire continents changed. Within one week of just fixing his eyes on Jesus by starting the day with Jesus every day. Listen, come on, guys. You don't put on a motorcycle helmet when you're about ready to crash. That's too late. You better put it on before you get on the bike. If we try to go, I'll put the helmet of salvation on later after I'm experiencing hopelessness, it's too late. You need to put it on first thing in the morning. You have a much better chance to fix your eyes on Jesus all day long if you start your day with him. Guys, listen. What do we all do first thing in the morning? We all do it. What do we all do first thing in the morning? Stretch. You stretch? I open my eyes. You good job. You open your eyes. Thanks, Noah. Uh, listen, it was, it was actually rhetorical. Uh, <laughs> what do we all do? Grab that phone. We start looking at it. Right away. We start just fixing our eyes on what's ever on that freaking phone. Right away. Boom. And that's what starts getting into our mind right away the second we get out of bed. I wonder why I don't feel hope. So this is what I just want to challenge you. For one week, seven days, starting tomorrow. For one week, every day this week, start your first 30 minutes off with, with Jesus. Your first 30 minutes. For 30 minutes, don't pick up the phone. For 30 minutes, don't turn it on, keep it in the other room, whatever. Th- and some of you, this is going to be like trying to get off crack. You're going to be pfft all week long like this will kill you you know like for 30 minutes keep it keep, don't don't get on it and for 30 minutes, Fix your eyes on Jesus in whatever way will help you fix your eyes on Jesus, whether that's listening to worship music, praying, journaling your prayers, reading a Christian book, reading the Bible, whatever it is, for 30 minutes. And some of you are like, well, my Bible's on my phone. Get a real one. Get a real one with pages and paper. Like, don't use your phone as an excuse. Well, it's on my phone. And then you're like, ooh, TikTok. Let's watch this stupid video, you know. Come on. You guys do this for seven days and you're going to see, you're going to see, man, something's going to change. You're going to start fixing your eyes on Jesus more and you're going to be protecting your mind. Here's my second suggestion, next step. Expose yourself consistently to practical biblical teaching. One of the ways that we fix our eyes on Jesus is by being taught and pointed toward the promises, the truths, and the ways of God found in Scripture in a way we can apply to our lives. Listen, this is so vitally important in order to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's why our Sunday gatherings are so important. And, and why for kids and middle school students and high school students that Sprouts, Relevant Kids, Rooted, Youth United are so vitally important. Here's my third suggestion, next step. Surround yourself with people who are voices of hope. The people in your life, listen, the people in your life are either helping or hurting fix your eyes on Jesus, Which means they're a huge part of your mind being filled with hope or hopelessness. You, I guarantee, just like me, are the byproduct of your three closest friends. You are the byproduct of your three. So look at your three closest friends. Are your th- three closest friends people of hope or hopelessness? Because you're the byproduct of your three closest friends. Are your three closest friends voices of hope who are helping you fix your eyes on Jesus? Or do they tempt you to fix your eyes on something else in the midst of your pain? In the midst of your trouble and hardship and disappointment? If the latter, maybe these are relationships that you need to throw off. Because to stand firm in the hope daily, we must daily fix our eyes on Jesus. And I'm telling you, the people in your life are helping or hurting do that. You need to surround yourself with people that you can share your struggles and hardships and disappointments and temptations and trials with and who will help you fix your eyes on Jesus by listening without judgment, by praying for you, encouraging you, reminding you of promises, challenging you. Having these types of relationships, listen, are so important, so hard to form that actually before we end this year, we're going to end up doing a five-week series on how to really the five types of relationships you all need and how to, you know, pursue them and be those yourself. But, But what I want to say today, the best environment, the best environment. environment for these types of relationships to form and flourish for college students and adults or t-life groups for kids and students are our next gen small groups realm of kids rooted or youth united small groups that's the whole purpose of these to be in a group of people who in the midst of the battle we can help each other fix our eyes on jesus so that we can walk toward him together here i gotta say this these three These three, start your day with Jesus, expose yourself consistently, practical teaching, surround yourself with people who are voices of hope. Those three, they are correlated with one another and they are the most foundational ways that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can run with perseverance the race marked out before us. And I'm telling you, I can predict with 100% certainty, 100% accuracy, that when people stop doing these three, that they will stop Fixing their eyes on Jesus, and hope will begin to die. I've watched it happen thousands of times over the last 20 years. And I can't figure out why no one sees that that is exactly what Satan's doing and exactly how he's attacking. Because let me ask you you felt it. When you're feeling down, you're feeling discouraged. You're feeling mad at God. Why didn't God? You're feeling depressed. What do you want to do? I don't need to spend time this morning. I'm not going on Sunday. I'm not doing T-Life group anymore. I'm isolating myself. And somehow we think this is a better idea. And so we disengage. And it doesn't make any sense because none of those things are helping and we're letting, letting Satan win the battleground of our minds. And if you, you look, listen to any of my sermons, usually my sermons have something to do with one of those every single week. You know why I keep preaching it? Because you don't listen. And so I'm going to just keep doing it until we're all doing it and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You guys, this, it don't get no more important than doing this. You will not keep your eyes fixed on Jesus if you don't. I can guarantee it. But I want to give you one more next step suggestion. And here it is. Monitor what you're filling with your mind with throughout the day. Because you're filling your mind with something every day. And what you fill your mind with is what your eyes are fixed on. Hey, for young people who don't drive yet, here's a driving lesson for you. If you're some, when you're driving your car, if there's something in the road and you don't want to hit it, do you know how to ensure that you don't hit it? You don't look at it. It's the weirdest concept in the world. Whatever you, When you are driving, whatever your eyes are fixed on, your car is going to hit every single time. So if there's something in the road that you don't want to hit, you actually have to fix your eyes on something else because that is where the car will go. This is exactly how it works in life. We just don't understand it. When you f- whatever you fix your eyes on in life, you will hit every single time. For some of us, you're fixing your eyes on hopelessness every day because you're filling your mind with nonstop lust and despair and anxiousness and fear and lies and temptation. Listen, if what you're filling your mind with is preventing you from fixing your eyes on Jesus, you need to throw it off because it's preventing you from putting on the helmet of salvation and it's opening up your mind to the enemies of tax. And let's be honest. Come on. Let's all be honest. Some of us in here, we need to throw off watching so much news. I don't care what news channel you watch and how right you think it is and how all the other ones are wrong. You need to throw it off because it's it's all you're filling your mind with, so it's all your eyes are fixed on. You need to start throwing that off. For some of us, we need to throw off social media. We're just filling our mind with whatever it wants to fill our mind with. And we wonder why anxiousness and depression is just running rampant in our world today. We're filling our minds with whatever we're being told to fill our minds with every day. So that's what our eyes are fixed off. Some of us need to throw off the podcast that we're subscribed to. If you're not experiencing hope in the midst of the battle today, you need to monitor what you're filling your mind with throughout the day. If what you're filling your mind with is hindering you from keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, you need to throw it off. And parents, if your kids won't throw it off, you need to throw it off for them, it listen, for all of us, it may be hard to do this, but it's much harder to be filled with hopelessness. To stand firm in hope daily, we must daily fix our eyes on Jesus. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we begin to have an unwavering hope and confidence in this promise in the midst of the battle. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No, I, I, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life... Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, the hope of God, the peace of God, the healing power of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have confidence in that? Do you have that hope in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the battle? If not, maybe you're not putting on the helmet of salvation daily so let me ask you is what you're filling your mind daily with daily helping you fix your eyes on Jesus or causing you to fix your eyes on something else if you're not experiencing hope today it's time to put on the helmet because to stand firm and hope daily we must daily fix our eyes on Jesus I want to say one final thing before I pray for us. For those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus, whether you're online or in this room, I'm so glad you have chosen to join us. And There will never be any pressure from us to do that. We'll just continue to make invitations for that. But let me just say this to you. You can't keep your eyes fixed on Jesus until you've entered into a saving relationship with Jesus. It's not possible. You can't keep your eyes fixed on Jesus until you've entered into a saving relationship with him of putting your faith in him asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life. Hope of salvation is available. Hope of salvation is available to you today. But you got to put this on for the very first time. And as I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And I would just encourage you, if you've never made that decision, that this is the day, there's no better time today. If you feel a stirring, there's no better time than today let me pray for us dude i first just want to pray for those um, who have never put their faith in you jesus that if they feel a stirring to do that now i pray they choose to do that that right right now where they're at either at home or in this room that jesus they declare their need for a savior they declare their faith that you are that savior because of your death and resurrection and they ask for you to be their savior the forgiver of their sins they ask you to be their lord the leader of their lives right now where they're at Lord, I pray that walking out of here, we all choose to follow you, Jesus, and protect our minds by putting on the helmet of salvation every single day by keeping our eyes fixed on you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey. If- If you're one of those people that today you put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins of your life, this is a big day. This is an awesome day. This is a day. Your eternity was forever changed. We want to celebrate this day with you and give you one of these Bibles to commemorate this day. So if you're in the room, go to the next step area and say, I put my faith in Jesus today. They're going to hand you one of these. If that freaks you out or you're watching online so you can't do that, text the word Jesus to 55444. We will mail you one of these.